Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 this morning. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series. All right, everybody look at me. Go like this. Duh, duh. Wake your face up. We're about to have a good time in God's Word. 1 Corinthians, God, they look, they're like this, man. They're like frost on the pumpkin. And I'm just, as I'm here at 8 a.m., the shortest. We're so grateful for those of you, our church family, that do come here at 8 a.m. Uh, we do say that's the shortest mission trip that you can take because you're freeing up so many seats in our second service that are needed. And we really do appreciate it. What we're doing is we're continuing in our, we're continuing in our sermon series uh, talking about to be blessed. When I, and what we're really focusing in are on things that we don't necessarily consider a blessing that truly, truly are. You know, for example, uh, last week we talked about how God blessed us with a need, that we have a need for him and for each other, that we need God and that we need God's people. As a matter of fact, why don't you just turn to your neighbor right now and look them right in the eye and say, you need me. Now look, go to the other side, tell them too. Now say this, say, be blessed. <laughs> be blessed. You need me. And listen, this morning, that those of you that are fully committed to Jesus Christ and you've experienced his grace, his mercy, his love, his power, his forgiveness, you are blessed with something else. And many times we don't see it as a blessing, but it is. Write this down. Take some notes this morning. It is a blessing to share Jesus with the world. It is a blessing to share Jesus. Now, the problem is, there's not a problem there at all, actually. But one of the things that we face is what we call uh, sharing Jesus, sharing the gospel. We call that evangelism. Evangelism, as a matter of fact, if we had an, an evangelist to come in, that's what they're there for, to reap a harvest of souls, to see people get saved, to share the gospel. The problem is evangelism and evangelists sound a lot like this other word that people don't like. It's called televangelist. Do you, have you ever heard of a televangelist? All right. And so their reputation is so bad. A televangelist is so bad that when they were listing 73 occupations in the United States, they finished in the bottom three as far as trust and respectability. The only things that scored lower than them were drug dealers and organized uh, crime, the mafia. Drug dealers and the mafia were the only things that scored lower than televangelists. And so when people hear evangelism, when people hear evangelists, many times what they hear is televangelists, right? There's some guy that's crying up in a tower somewhere and said he's not going to come down unless he gets a million dollars or you sow a seed in this ministry and God's going to multiply it 10,000 times, things like that. And so uh, if you're not a believer and you hear the word evangelism, it might just be that when you hear that, you're like, uh-uh. Right? You're going to try to sell me something. You're fake. This isn't good. The reputation, televangelist, is not very good. It brings skepticism. It brings resistance. Right? And then it's, it's the same way you feel. Now, we know car dealers, all up, they're not all crooked or anything like that. But it's the same thing that when you walk onto a, a car dealership, you know that guy's about to try to sell you something. Right? And so a little bit, that wall comes up a little bit unless you know them. That wall can, all right, this guy's going to try to sell me something. I got to get the best deal I can. And when people, when unbelievers hear evangelism, they kind of, that's the wall goes up and you're trying to sell me something, leave me alone. 
But for those of us who are believers, when we talk about evangelism, it brings up two emotions. And if you are a believer this morning, you might have already felt one of these two. The first one is guilt. You might feel guilty this morning because you know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you should be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with your lost friends and neighbors and you ain't doing it. You, you, uh, you're 133 years old and you've been saved for 99 years and you have never shared Jesus with anybody. You feel guilty. You should. You should. A disciple of Christ is going to share the good news. So you feel guilty. And then whenever we start having these talks, you kind of start to tune it out. And then the other feeling is maybe not guilt, but maybe it's fear. You're afraid. Like, I'd, I'd like to sh- tell people, but uh, you know, somehow you think you're going to mess it up. Oh, if I tell them, what if I tell them how to get saved and I tell them wrong and then they go to hell? They're going to hell anyway. <laughs> you need to help them. Let God use you. Or you're afraid that the person that you're going to share with at work, you know, hey man, this is what you need to do to be right with God, that they're going to look at and like, you're telling me how to get right? I need to tell you. Man, you're a hypocrite. You can't tell me how to be saved. So a lot of us, we're afraid to share and we feel really guilty about not sharing. But the truth is, in Scripture, it teaches us that it's a blessing to be able to share the good news with people around us. And matter of fact, it's 101, Christianity 101, to share the good news of Christ. And so this morning, if you're feeling a little bit insecure about sharing your faith or maybe a little bit guilty, and I hope that you do, the guilty, not the insecure, I can relate In fact, I bet every believer who has ever lived on the face of the earth can relate with those two feelings of guilt and insecurity. For me as a pastor, this is sidebar, this is free. Here's one of the things that I run into many times. You know, we just talked about car salesmen, right? And how when you see a car salesman, you're like, he's going to try to sell me a car. The wall goes up, right? How do you think people act when they see a preacher? Wall goes up. He's going to try to sell me something. Wants to go to, he wants me to go to his church so he can preach on tithing and get rich. Because you know preachers don't pay no taxes. That's a lie. <laughs> Big lie. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so many times what I do is when I, whenever I'm, and I feel like I need to share with somebody, I feel I, I do. when I, I'm like, I just got to do this. But a lot of times I'm always kind of in that in-between where I want them to know that I'm just a regular guy, right? They don't have to have that wall up. I'm just a dude. And a lot of times I get caught in that dude zone. I'm just so busy trying to disarm them from putting that wall up that I never get to the point. Does that make sense? And so a lot of us, we feel insecure where there was a lot of fear and sharing our faith, but it's a blessing. The apostle Paul was this incredible example for us in sharing our faith. Look in your Bible at 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, and I'm going to start in verse number 19. Paul says, though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. Well, why, Paul? That I might win the more. Now, verse 20 says, and to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. Then if you go down to verse 22, he says, to the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. What he's saying there, you might see that in a different translation. He says that I may be partaker of it with you. What he's saying is I want to share in the blessing. I'm wanting to see people get saved so that I can share in the blessing of seeing men and women, boys and girls receive Jesus Christ. 
You are blessed by God this morning to be able to share Jesus with people that don't know them. You don't need to feel insecure and you don't have to feel, feel guilty. It's a blessing, but many of us, we don't know it and you know that it's true. So this morning, if you're a little bit insecure, a little bit hesitant about sharing your faith, what I've done is we've pulled a few different characters out of scriptures, very unlikely witnesses for Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at what they did. And we're going to talk about what we can do. When you see how God used these people, you're going to recognize God can use me too. So take some notes. The first one we're going to look at is the Samaritan woman, number one. And she said, hey, come check it out. Come check it out. The Samaritan woman, she teaches us that one of the ways that you can share Jesus is to invite people to just come and check it out, man. When the Holy Spirit, when, when they come and check it out, the Holy Spirit does what he does. Now, why was the Samaritan woman, you know her story, many of you do, why was she such an unlikely witness? Well, she really, uh, she had three strikes against her. In her day, matter of fact, some legalistic Pharisee would uh, pray a prayer every day. God, thank you so much that I'm born a Jew, that I wasn't born a, a Samaritan, a woman, or a dog. A Samaritan, a woman, or a dog. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Right, And then, then you think about women in that day. They weren't very respected either. Matter of fact, their testimony wouldn't even count in court. And, and so she's got those two strikes against her right out the gate. But also she would have been thought of as an immoral, ungodly woman. She'd been around the block. And that would have disqualified her, according to many people, for God to use her to see people get saved. Because she's got a lot of uh, history here. And then she's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She's an immoral woman. And so what happens is one day she goes to draw water from the well, and then she encounters Jesus. Jesus, this obviously Jewish man who is talking to her. And she has to be like, why are you even talking to me? Don't the Jews hate the Samaritans and vice versa? And Jesus says, hey, will you draw me up some water? And she can't believe that you know, this is happening. And uh, Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. And the water that I would give you, uh, uh, you will never thirst again. And she's intrigued by this. And then Jesus says, okay, well, go get your husband. And then she's like, well, I'm, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, you've got that right. You've been married five times. And the man you're with now is not your husband. You're not married to him. And she's like, how do you know this? How do you know this about me? You know, even us Samaritans, we believe that the Messiah is coming, a Savior is coming, and is going to tell us everything that knows all things. And Jesus basically says, the one you're talking to now, I'm the Messiah. And all of a sudden, when she recognized who she was, right, you've been married five times. The man that you're living with now is not your husband. And she recognized who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah who was prophesied to come. When she recognized that, John chapter 4, verse 28, look at it in your notes. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, verse 29, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Look, all she did was, say, hey, come and check it out. I think this guy's the Messiah. I think he has the truth. This is the Christ. Come and see. Come look for yourselves. She didn't go back and start a Bible study. She didn't go back and try to be the person with all the answers. She didn't put herself on some throne. What did she do? She said, hey, man, come check it out. I think this is the guy. Come and check it out for yourselves. 
And what's amazing is, is if you read on in the story, you see the result of that in John chapter 4, verse 39. John 4, 39 says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. Well, why did they believe? Because of the word of the woman who testified. The woman who said, come and see. Come and check it out. Many people came to believe because she invited them to check it out. Do you realize you can do this all the time with church? Inviting people to join you at church. Invite people. I love it. Many times I'm out in Henderson or Jackson and I'll come across a church member. And it's funny because some of you are really good at this. Okay. Because what you do is uh, when I, I catch you talking with somebody, I'm like, hey, that's a good. And then you're like, hey. And then whoever you're talking to, this has happened, Scott. I promise you. A couple of dozen times. And then you'll be talking to somebody, you're at the Dollar Gentry or or somewhere, and you're talking to somebody, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? You're like, this is my pastor, it's Marcus, Pastor Grace Patrick. And then they'll say, he's the pastor. You should come to church with us sometime. Right? They just use this. That's my preacher. You just brought up a spiritual thing, right? Because we know that I walk on water, I have a halo. And so you say, This was supposed to be a serious message, y'all. And so you said, hey, there's my preacher. You use the opportunity of something churchy, spiritual, religious coming up and said, hey, why don't you come to church with us? It's happened a couple of dozen times in the last year alone. That's happened many times. Or maybe many times I'll meet somebody somewhere in West Tennessee and they're like, aren't you, where are you, the Grace Baptist Church over there? Oh, yeah. And they'll say this. They'll say, man, I've heard a lot of good things about y'all over there. That's what they'll say. Man, I've heard a lot of good things about y'all. Well, man, you should come and join us. Well, you know, I will. You know, so-and-so, you know, so-and-so. Yeah, well, he's a handful, ain't he? Yeah. And then he's been, he's been, you know how us guys talk about each other, right? And so, and then and they'll say, you know, he's been inviting me to church. I'm just going to have to come down there. I've heard that many times. You, if you're not doing that, you can do that. Just invite people to come to church. One of the easiest things you can do, somebody says, hey, y'all want to come over Sunday? And you say, yeah, y'all want to go to church? <laughs> we'll do that after. You can invite people to join you. Do you know that their studies have been done? It's conclusive. Look at this next slide. If you'll ask, four out of five people will come to church if they're invited by a close and trusted friends. They will come. It's not a matter of will they. Many people won't. Now, I'm a, again, I'm a preacher, used car salesman, and so many people lie to me. People see me and they just go, I'm coming to church Sunday. I never see them again. Okay, it's just like guilt coming out of them. Hey, bro, we'll see your church. Hey, man, we'll come to Sunday. And then I never see him. And it's the, you can ask my wife. It just wears me out. Hey, man, you, yeah, I'm going to be there. And then they, they, don't, they don't come. Or some of our first-time guests, this is the greatest church they've ever been to. And I talked to them, and they love it. And they finally found, they're going to find their place in grace, and they never come back. Until next Easter. Amen? But I'm a preacher. You understand? There's this preacher guilt. that I call it preacher guilt. I don't know how else to, you know, uh, it just comes out of people. People say things, you know. Um, we'll be there. Hey, we'll come Sunday, you know. Never see them. But you're not a preacher, thank God. Right? <laughs> it's my cross to bear. And so when you invite somebody, if you've got friends and they trust you, and you say, hey, man, won't you come to church? Come to Grace. God's a blessing. Come and check it out. Come and join us. It'll be a blessing. We'll go have lunch afterwards. They will come. Four out of five times, they will absolutely come. Who do you know that you could invite to church? They'll come if you ask. They won't come if you don't. 
they'll come. The Samaritan woman teaches us that sometimes all we've got to do is invite somebody and then let God through the Holy Spirit do what he does. And we'll see lives changed. I mean, one of the ways you can invite. Matter of fact, this service right now is streaming live over Facebook. You could just share it, right? You could do it right now. And uh, I'll pretend like you're not actually texting, okay? And so, but there's thousands of ways. You can share messages. You can, uh, do, uh, there's all kinds of ways to invite people to join you at Grace. Now, the second unlikely likely witness is a guy that was born blind. And then Jesus heals him. And he teaches us that we can tell our story. Sometimes we just invite people to come, but sometimes we can just tell our story because many times we're insecure. We think we don't know what to say. Well, you know what happened to you when you received Christ. So you know everything that you need to say. Um, let me give you the bl blind guy's background. He was born blind from birth. Couldn't see, never seen anything. Total darkness. One day Jesus shows up and scoops up some dirt and spits on it. Makes a little mud cakes and, uh, and puts it on his eyes. Blind guy couldn't see it. Amen. And then told him to go to this pool and wash it off. I mean, come on, guys. Y'all know. Come on. That's a little gross, right? I'm not trying to be all theological on you right now. I'm just being practical. And so he went and he washed it. It's just gross. He spit on my mud pie. All right. So. And he did that, and then he went and washed it off. All of a sudden, this blind man who had never seen anything from the time he'd born blind, all of a sudden he could see trees and clouds and colors and people. And he's just like, it's amazing. He's like, he healed me. He healed me. I was blind, but now I see. And all of a sudden, these Pharisees are showing up, and they don't like Jesus. And so if Jesus is healed, this is a man. We all know that he was born blind, and we all know now that he can see. But this Jesus guy, he can't be from God. He's a sinner, right? And they got the blind man. They got him up testing. He's a sinner, right? He does it with the devil, right? There's no way this, this can be from God. You know, tell the truth. This man, Jesus, is a sinner. And look what he says in John chapter 9, verse 25. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, man, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. What did he do? He told his story. He was blind, but now he can see. And you can do the same thing. You've got a story. This morning, if you don't have a story, you can get one this morning. You've got a story. If you're a believer, my life was empty. Then I gave my life to Christ. Now I have meaning. I was hooked, addicted on alcohol, pills, drugs. God delivered me from that. And my marriage was in big, big trouble. And I didn't know what we were going to do. And me and my wife thought we were going to get a divorce. And we both gave our heart and life to Christ. And he saved our marriage. You've got a story. I used to be in bondage. I was a slave. I was in bondage. I was in fear. I had four cats. I met Christ. Boom, no cats. He set me free. I can't even look at, at y'all anymore with these cat jokes. <laughs> Last time I did cat jokes, I went into one of our senior Sunday school classes over here, and you're here, so you know I'm telling the truth. And I went in, and, I, and uh, uh, one lady, I'm not going to name her, she said, Brother Marcus. A lot of people in our church like their cats. I, those cat jokes. And I was like, we had cats. It's okay. Had cats. <laughs> Listen, whatever your story this morning, tell your story. 
And maybe you're like, well, I don't have a dramatic story. I just don't have this big dramatic. You, you need to understand your story is special. It'll minister to somebody. God will use it. Your story counts. Your story matters. The best stories, like our, our, uh, y'all know him, uh, uh, Adam Wood. And some of these people, they get saved as teenagers. God calls them into the ministry as teenagers, and they spend the rest of their lives serving Jesus. It gets on my nerves. It doesn't sound exciting, does it? But it's what God can do with a surrendered life. And it has meaning. And God's used that story a bunch of times. You can tell your story all kinds of different ways. I put it in my notes. There's all kinds of different, if you're an artist, you can paint your story. If you're a musician, you can tell your story in a song. If you're a student, you can even slip it into that English lip paper and see if you get in trouble or not. You can put your story on Facebook. You can blog your story and you're putting everything else on Facebook. How about putting some glory to God on your social media? There's all kinds of ways that you can tell your story. God has blessed you to share Jesus and just do a a favor, don't share anything that says, share this to be blessed, okay? Don't. But God has blessed you to share Jesus. It's as simple as saying, hey, hey man, come and check it out. I'll save a seat for you. It's as simple as telling your story, right? And there's a, a third very unlikely witness. Now, uh, this lady, her name is Dorcas. Dorcas. I mean, her name's Dorcas. Write this down. She teaches us a principle that you can share Christ by simply loving people, man. By loving others, caring about others. Here's this great description of what she did. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. It says, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Now, I just feel, I wish they would have stopped right there. Tabitha, that's a nice name. Do you know a Tabitha? Raise your hand. Do you know a Tabitha? Okay. What's that next line? Which is translated what? Dorcas? Anybody know a Dorcas this morning? I mean, besides the pastor, anybody know any other Dorcas this morning? Bless her heart. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Now, let me unpack this for you just a second. Dorcas, Tabitha, had a burden in her life, and her burden was for widows. For widows, she saw that there was a need, uh, that widows had a need in her time. Here's what would happen. The law was basically this. If your husband died, then your, uh, all of your husband's money, the inheritance went to the son. If there, were, if there was a son, the firstborn son, if not him, the second or whatever. And then if there wasn't a male heir to give it to, like a son, then it would go to a male in the family, the larger context. In other words, the widow was always out because if the son got it and he was just a a punk kid uh, or whatever, just not a good person. He would, he could spend it all and not take care of her. He was under no obligation. And so then if a, another relative got the money, he doesn't have to take care of her either. And so and many times these ladies would find themselves with nothing destitute, no money. Didn't matter what their husband had before they died. Their husband dies. They didn't just lose him. They lost everything. And so there were all these widows. They just had no means to support themselves. So what did she do? She prayed for them. She prayed with them. She got involved in their lives. She would make clothes for them. Uh, if they, and when they didn't have clothes, she raised money for them to help them have food. And she was so loving and caring. She earned a right to be heard in their lives. I and mean, she made a huge difference. They loved her big time because she was actually involved in their lives. Now, here's what's amazing. Her ministry was so valuable that God raised her back from the dead. I mean, 
That says something. Sometimes I wonder if it wasn't just because he felt bad because her name was Dorcas. But I feel like there's probably a greater picture going on here, right? And so uh, and she got involved in the lives of the people and made a difference. You can do the same thing. You can love people for Jesus. Because what people really want to know is, do you really care? What good does it do to invite? What good does it do to tell your story when you don't care? They want to know that you care and that you really mean it. And all of a sudden, when you care and you mean it, you have a right because you've loved them and because you've cared for them to speak Christ into their lives. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, hey, come check it out. Sometimes it's like, let me tell you what happened in my life. Sometimes it's like, let me serve you, man, and love you and try to get to the point where you'll be willing to receive this from me. But then there's this other witness. And we think he was a good witness, but he wasn't always that way. Peter, write this down. Number four, sometimes it gets down to the point where you got to confront somebody with their sin and with the gospel. With their sin and with the gospel. You just have to lovingly confront them with the truth. Peter, now you got to like Peter. I see a bunch of Peter types sitting out here. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at you, okay, Peter. He was a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? He's a guy, when we had our men's fellowship breakfast, he'd have all the good stories to tell. I would tell you one time we went down there in Knoxville, and I tell you, we had... And Peter, you know, what, what did they say? He only opened his mouth to change foots, right? One time Jesus is like, hey, guys, you need to understand, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And then Peter's like, shut up, Jesus. I mean, he rebuked Jesus. No, you're not. Uh -uh. Can you imagine telling Jesus, nope, you're wrong. That's Peter, right? When they came and tried to take Jesus away from, in the garden, Peter whooped out his sword and and chopped the gears, uh, guy's ear off. He didn't cut the ear off because that's what he was aiming for. You know what I'm saying? Peter didn't play. Ready, fire, aim. He messed up many times, but yet God used him. Even though he messed up over and over and over again, like a lot of us had, God chose him to be the guest preacher on the day of Pentecost. What kind of message did Peter preach on the day of Pentecost? A feel-good message? A live your best life now message. Come to Jesus. He'll make you happy. And you'll always get the good parking places at church message. No. No. Here's what he told them. Right? He had ascended. The Holy Spirit had come down. And Peter said, and these are the same people that were there when Jesus was crucified. These are the same people that could have went and looked at the empty tomb. These are the same people that knew the disciples, knew Jesus' mama, knew all of them. And here's Peter talking to thousands of them. And they, he said, Jesus was innocent. You knew it and you turned him over to sinful men to be crucified. You did it. You killed him. And you know that you did it. And, I'm, and he's like, I'm here to tell you, he's not dead. He has resurrected and he has ascended. The tomb is empty. He's talking to people that could go and look at the tomb for themselves. And then this, the day of Pentecost, this is, like a couple, this is like a couple of weeks later. This isn't months or years later. These are the same people that saw Christ crucified and the same people that knew that the tomb was empty. And he says, you did it. You did it. You turned him over to sinful men to be crucified, didn't you? And he's alive. And what was their response? They're like, hey, man, what can we do? 
Because they recognize the truth of what Peter said. He's confronting them with their sin. They're like, what can we do? How can we be saved? Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. He confronted them directly and boldly. And he confronted them and 3,000 of them, men were baptized that day. 3,000 of them were saved and added to the church. There's going to be times when the Holy Spirit of God is going to tell you it's time to confront someone with their sin. It's time to get in somebody's face so they don't go to hell. And you do it, but make sure it's the Holy Spirit prompting you to do it. Don't be a jerk. There's enough Christian jerks. Don't add to the number. Don't go around screaming at people just because it's your, your pet calls or, or whatever you think it is at that moment. Make sure when you confront somebody that you do it lovingly and you share the gospel and the truth and you do it for the right reasons, not because you've got a bad attitude. And I'm scared there's not enough of that going on in churches anymore. I, I just, you know, where we say, hey, your sin has jacked you up. Your sin has separated you from God. That if you don't repent and turn from your sin, you're not going to spend eternity in heaven. You're going to spend eternity in hell. You need Christ. I'm in agony and fear. I was awake before four o'clock this morning thinking about this, that there would be somebody in our church that one of you sitting here right now, or you might be a false believer where on the outside, there's this image of righteousness, but there's no righteousness on the inside, no real transformation. And for some of our people, maybe there's not even an outward sign of righteousness. Your heart is so jaded, you can't even fake it. Do you know what I'm saying? That the outside actually matches the inside. No inward change. People who take the word of God and basically just throw it down and trample it under their feet. And it scares me to death. Because when you really surrender to Christ, you will ch your life will change. Your heart will change. I'm not saying you don't, want, you, you don't become perfect or anything like that. But God will work and you're moving your life. I've heard it said before and it's kind of trite. No change, no Christ. No Christ, no change, right? It's true. There's been no change in your life. You do not have Christ. Don't fool yourself. You're lying to yourself. If you're not any different after you've given your heart to Christ, you've probably never met him before. And so I'll just let me plead with you like Peter did. You need to repent, turn from your sin, and trust Christ. You may be fresh out of second chances, man. Just this weekend, our church and our church family is connected to two different funerals this weekend. Tomorrow's not promised to anybody. Give your heart to Christ and be forgiven and redeemed and made new. Once this life is over, it's over. Trust Christ. Has he made a difference in your life? Is there anything in you? Here's a good test. Like lean in close. Is there anything in you that wants to share the good news with others? I'm not saying that you do. You may probably feel guilty, maybe insufficient, and you don't have what it takes. But is there even that spark of the Holy Spirit saying to you, man, you need to tell people about Jesus? If there's not, that's a good indication that the Holy Spirit isn't living in your heart. Do you know him? Has he made a difference in your life? Have you trusted him? Are you sharing him with others like he commanded you to do? Do you know him? If not, repent. Turn from your sins. Trust Christ. And he'll make you a new creation, a new person.
no matter how good the outside looks. That's just not the part that matters. Have you done business with God? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your blessings that go beyond anything that we can ever deserve or ever even imagine. Lord, help us to share enough, to care enough, to share Christ with people all around us. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed, no looking around. You right now, right there in your spot, just briefly, just quickly, just for a second. Can you think of somebody who's probably not saved? Who's not saved? Or can you think of anybody who claims to be saved? But you know them, man. And their life is far from anything that looks redeemed. No repentance, no faith, no love. Can you think of anybody like that? Can you think of one person that needs Jesus? Two, three, twenty? How about right now you commit to pray for that person? How about right now you commit to God? God, use me to help this person to know you. Pray for them. But God, use me. Right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. How many here this morning? Will say, yes, I've got somebody to pray for. Will you slip your hand up? We're going to pray for him. All over the sanctuary. All over. All over. Father God, we just lift these people up to you. Those that you've brought to our minds and to our hearts. Those who are far from God. Lord, that do not know you. Or Lord, their life indicates. We don't know, but Lord, they... There seems to be no witness, no testimony. Father, we just pray that you'd be so gracious to reveal yourself to them, draw them to you. God, that they might be saved before it's everlastingly too late. And Lord, we're just asking you to use us. Lord, we can give us the courage to invite them to come check it out and to share our story here. To love them enough, to care enough, Lord, even to confront if necessary. God, that they might be saved, redeemed, forgiven. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. Still, there's some of you, as we continue praying this morning, the truth is you've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never been sincere and honest and done business with God. You want him this morning, but you don't have him. You need to understand, first thing, that it's impossible for you to work yourself to God. So many times we think, I've got to clean up, and I've got to straighten up, and I'll get the outside right, and then I'll come to Christ. I'll get my act together. The Bible says that that won't work. We're only saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's never by works, man. It's never by you cleaning yourself up, acting the part, acting right. Surrender. Surrender. Look at it for just, just one second. Let's continue. This verse, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved 
through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That not of yourselves part is really good news. That's almost my favorite part of this verse. Because you know me. If it was up to me, I would mess that up, wouldn't you? If it was, if it was me somehow doing A, B, C and connecting the dots and getting everything right and working it out for myself, pulling myself into heaven, I'll mess up. I'll slip up. I'm not good enough. And the good news is, is for by grace, you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, man. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it, but it's offered to you as a free gift. It is the gift of God. And the only way you can have this gift is by receiving it. A gift's not a gift unless you take it. And you have to take it. Jesus came and lived that perfect sinless life that we couldn't live. Not of yourselves. And he died that perfect death. We couldn't die. And on the third day, he's resurrected. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. He is alive. Just like those 3,000 in the book of Acts could testify to you this morning, the grave is empty. The grave is empty. And he'll save you if you'll trust him. He'll forgive you where you haven't even forgiven yourself. He'll make you right where all you've done is wrong. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've seen. It doesn't even matter what you've been doing during this sermon. What you've been thinking. What matters is what you do with God right now. Whether or not you do business with Christ right now. He will save you if you ask him. Again, it's not of ourselves. We can't earn it. But he offers it to us freely. You call on his name. Jesus saved me. He will absolutely save you. This morning, he'll fix what's been broken and you've never been able to fix. Let's pray one more time. Pray with me. That's your prayer this morning. Jesus, save me. And when you call out and call out to Christ, he'll give you his Holy Spirit. He'll give you a new heart. You'll be a new creation in Christ. And he'll begin working and moving in your life like never before. You'll leave here redeemed and completely forgiven. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. No one's looking around. Pray for your neighbor. But if that's you this morning, you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm not going to call you out, single you out, drag you forward. I just want to pray with you. And right there in your seat, you know, I need Christ. Would you just slip your hand up for just a second so I can pray for you? God bless you. We just slip your hand up for just a second. We got time. Listen. Why don't you pray a prayer like this? It's not the prayer. It's you surrendering your life to God. But you can talk to God this morning and say, Father God, I'm a sinner. He'll hear this prayer. I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. I turn. I repent of my sin. And I'm asking Christ to save me. Save me, Jesus. Just tell him. Lord, I'm putting my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection. I'm trusting you, not me. I surrender my life to Christ. Save me, Jesus. Listen, you come this morning, you surrender your life to Christ. You just prayed that prayer. He's giving you his Holy Spirit. You have resurrection power in your life. You've been forgiven. So what's next? You need to follow through and be baptized. It's the first thing he calls us to do. Maybe this morning you've got your baptism on the wrong side of your salvation. Maybe you got baptized at some point, but you know you weren't really saved then, but you're saved now. You need to be baptized. You've never been baptized. 
Maybe God is calling you to be a part of the Grace Baptist family. This is your church home, and you know it, and God has shown it to you. Why don't you come and make that official? Put on the jersey and be part of the team. Maybe this morning there's somebody you need to come to the altar and pray for, man. They're lost, and they're just going the wrong way, and you know it. You can come pray for them this morning. Maybe there's some other need. You come and pray. We've got time. But whatever you need to do, do business with God this morning. He's given us this invitation. We're not promised anymore. Father God, we surrender this time to you. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us?